What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today to into today's episode for the drop-in. I'm sorry, I'm a little fired up. You guys have watched the show before. I'm sure you have. And you know I get excited. The goosebumps start flowing, as I always show you. And each guest brings something different to the table of the drop-in. Today is no exception. I have a nationally, internationally recognized comedian in studio with me today, and I needed it. I am just like everybody else. I get in a funk. I get bummed out. I, I'm human. You know, you guys get to see me on this show, and, I, and I'm all fired up and smiles and everything, but I'm just like everybody else, and all day I've been in this funk. And then I realized who I got in studio today. And I'm like, I couldn't pick a better guest. You know, I have a comedian in studio to get me back on track. And so stick around for the whole hour because Mark Canope is here in studio and you are not going to want to miss it. You know, the, the summer is in full swing here in southeastern Michigan and every weekend is something different. We've already experienced the Dave Tuck Memorial Skate Jam, which a couple weeks out, you're going to see a whole show about that. I got to sit down with a bunch of cool people. Rob Marinek from the border in the skate park of Tampa. Uh, uh, dude from uh, Grind for Life, Mike Rogers, sat down with me. Two-time cancer survivor sat down with me for a few minutes, and you're going to see that a little bit down the road. The summer is out of control, and me being skateboard guy, you know, uh, skateboard events every weekend, and I'm out there. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm experiencing every step of the way. I'm either riding, I'm talking to people, getting people People fired up about living life or MC and half of the events. I'm just there. So if you hear about events in the southeastern Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, come on out. Say hello. I'm probably going to be there. And this show brings that same energy, but we bring all sorts of different guests into the studio here at NRM. And it is with one message to get you off your damn couch and make life happen. This is not a dress rehearsal. You get one shot. I say it all the time, and I want you guys to remember it, that you get one shot at life. If you don't make the most of it, look in the mirror. That's where the answers are. Look in your mirror and get up off the couch, make life happen. We cannot make this show happen without our awesome sponsors and one of the best is a company called Play at the Plate. You know, if you're into baseball, if you're into historic kind of things, you definitely want to look up Play at the Plate because they're offering you an opportunity to play in such the cool areas around the country. They're even talking about what, uh, like the natural field of dreams kind of thing. So make sure to look up Play at the Plate because they're going to give you the greatest opportunity in your life to play in a historic setting. Would you like to play some baseball? Do you still dream of playing on a major league field, experiencing the magic of places like Field of Dreams? For 15 years, Play at the Plate has been making dreams come true. Play at the Plate offers you the chance to play ball. Join us for a lifetime experience. Go to playattheplate.org or call Scott Green at 631-255-4475. That's 631-255-4475. Yes, play at the plate. You know, that is such a great, great experience. So definitely look them up if you're into baseball. Here in the Metro Detroit area, where old Tiger Stadium used to sit, Michigan and Trumbull, they still play out there. There's a group of guys that take care of that field. They come out and cut the grass. They get some games going. You can still, you can still suit up 
put your glove on and go out to Michigan and Trumbull. I mean, that's Alan Trammell, Whitaker, uh, Sparky Anderson. I mean, the history there is crazy. And if you want to take it to the next level, play at the plates, who you want to call. So definitely check them out if that's your thing. But, you know, my thing is just inspiring people. Living life, you know, I skateboarding took me all over the country, but so many other things have really been right up there. You know, I've gotten to play drums all over the country. I've gotten to draw pictures for crazy people that I idolize. You have to experience life. You have to. You have to take advantage of it. You have to try and fail. Last week, I put a, a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, and it's the man in the arena. And the man in the arena, look it up. That quote means so much to me. And definitely look it up because I had forgotten about it. And a friend of mine reminded me about the man in the arena. And it talks about the critic and the, the Monday morning quarterback and those kinds of people that aren't doing it, but chime in every step of the way. When you fail, they're the loudest mouth. And, and you have to experience it, I think. If you are going to uh, even say a word, you have to get out there. You have to be the man in the arena. So look that one up because that's how I live my life. But getting to the subject at hand, today in studio, I have a gentleman and we met about a month ago. This guy heard about what we were doing with Drop In Down River, the nonprofit that has received a quarter million dollar matching grant from the Tony Hawk Foundation along with the Ralph C. Wilson Foundation. And we are raising money right now to build a world-class skateboard, actually all extreme sports facility in the southeastern Michigan area. And Mark heard about what we were doing, and he is a Wyandotte native. He graduated from Roosevelt High School, and he heard about what we were doing, and he drove up. He's down in Ohio now, and he drove up, and he came to one of our meetings, and he spent like two hours getting to know us, getting to know what we're doing. And again, here's the goosebumps. I get them all the time because things inspire me, and Mark inspired me. He took time out of his own schedule to come and visit with us tell us what he does and say, I want to do what I can. I want to bring my, my expertise to the table and help you guys raise money to make this happen because it's going to affect the youth <coughs> for the next few generations. He understood that, and, and that meant a lot to me. We ended up stepping outside and having a conversation for a little while, and I said, what do you think about coming on, on my show? What do you think about coming on the drop-in? And he said, I'd love to. I'd love to come on. And so before I say too much more about him, I'll let him talk about himself because that's what this show is about. It's about me making the guests look super cool. I'd like you to give a little listen to what is visiting who, I'm sorry, who is visiting with us today in the NRM studios. Can we, can we get that audio rocking right now and give our uh, viewers a little taste of Mr. Mark Canope? I hate snowmobiles. I always get a couple in the crowd, a couple guys going, what's the matter, man? What's the matter? It's not like they want to fight me, they just want to thaw out their nipples from the previous February, that's all. <laughs> I don't hate snowmobilers, I hate the machines they ride. That's my point here. You do whatever you want to do in the wintertime. God bless you, that's what you want to do, go you do. I can accomplish the same thing taking the roof and doors off my car. <laughs> The reason why I hate the machines, I was in Traverse City, Michigan, a couple of Januarys ago doing a corporate event for a company, and things were way behind schedule. 
Didn't get on stage that night till about quarter to one in the morning. By the time I finished my set, got off stage, had a couple of drinks, got paid, went back to my room, decompressed, and fell asleep. It was about 4, 4.15 in the morning. At approximately 6.08 a.m., I was awakened to why? Why hasn't someone invented a muffler for these things? I tossed and turned a better part of an hour, finally gave up. I packed my bags, went to the front desk, I checked out of the hotel. Drove about 10 miles, got to a little town called Mesick, Michigan. Realized I'm almost out of gas, better fuel up for the rest of the drive home, okay? So, so I did, as I'm going into pay, who walks in right behind me? The Michelin Man. This guy's wearing like 11 layers of snowmobile clothes. How he was able to pee is beyond me. <sighs> Never mind. <laughs> I think the first five layers just a big diaper. I'm inside waiting for my change. I'm at the counter. The clerk has her back to me. She's at the register. He walks in. He walks right back. He's bumping into me. He's waving his arms. He's trying to get the clerk's attention. He finally does, and he asks her for a snowmobile trail map. I said, you got to be kidding me. You mean to tell me that she make a map to tell you where you can and cannot? Meet, meet, meet. It's like, yeah, man, we've been having fun all morning. I said, no kidding. Since about 6 08 by my count there, pal. Mr. Twinkie. It's like, whatever. So before she turned around, I asked her if she grabbed not one, but two maps. One for me, one for my new friend, Twink. And she did. I went back to Traverse City four months later. <laughs> I planted trees. <laughs> Whoever got that gig the next year, I'm sure it went me, 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 me. Is that an M80? <laughs> Maple. <laughs> night, night. Oh my word, that is awesome. Uh, Mark, uh, everybody can relate to that. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Cano. Thank you, Gerald. Pleasure to be here, man. Yeah, that that is so, so funny. You know, the first time I heard it, I'm going, where is he going with this? And then we got to the trees, and, and I'm like, dude, I mean, I don't know how many times I've thought of things like that. So, uh, you know, Michigan brings a lot. You brought up uh, Messick in there. Isn't that like the mushroom capital of, of North America or something? I, I, something to that effect, because it, it never fails uh, when I'm in Michigan doing a show, and I do that bit, and Traverse City people have heard of. But then when I mentioned Mesick, people are like, oh, it, it, this happened, you know. They, it, it, like, it, it gives them like a, a reason to, like, it validates it. You know, like, oh, he's not, this isn't BS, this is for real. <laughs> and I'll sometimes call him out because I'll hear three or four different people go, oh, yeah, I've been, and I'll go, yep, see, now you guys know this really happened. Yeah, you, you weren't know? just fabricating something. because Most of it really happened. Yeah, people come from all over the country. I didn't plant those trees, Gerald. I, why not? <laughs> why not? You should have said I did go back. Hey, 80, 80 to 90% of pretty much everything I do on stage germinated from something that either happened to me personally or that I observed, that really, and then that 5, 10, 20%, the variable, that usually becomes the exaggeration of the funny. A lot of times the funny is already there, 
but it's that extra little you know pop that that takes you over the top. That's the topper. That's the the tags we call them sometimes. It makes it funnier or or like you said, you 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 weren't sure where it was going. You 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 like the sound effect. You like this. It was going a certain but boy, the trees part. You know, I'm planting trees. Boom, boom. That kind of that was the topper. Yeah, so. that's the left turn. Yep. The left turn. Yep. Where I'm like, all right, I'm in. Whoa, whoa. That just, yeah. You yep. know that. I think it's it's awesome, and I think people can relate. And in your profession, you just hinted on it. You take the realism of things you see every day, and you make them funny. And I think that's awesome, and that's an art not everybody in the world can do. And and that's why it's super special to have you here. It is awesome that you took the time to come and visit with us here at the NRM studios. You know, when we met, I don't believe in coincidence. And I think you meet people for a reason when when you're supposed to meet them in your life. And you came up, you visited with us at the drop-in downriver uh, meeting. Well, now, Gerald, I don't even know if you're aware of this or not, but um, I think it was two days before that, um, I, I can't remember what, I hashtagged something on Instagram. And whoever has your Instagram account, What's the word for Instagram? They like it, or they they, they something like that. Yeah. I, I'm more they of a put Facebook a little gun. heart thing. Yeah, or the heart, and uh, and I so so I, I see that I get the notification, so I click on. It, I go, what is dropping down river? So I look at the little uh, thing in the in the profile. I go, oh, that's kind of cool, and I see that uh, it's it's a nonprofit, five hundred one c three, and oh, I know what the, it was. It was actually something that I posted about doing fundraisers and stuff. And then uh, it had been liked or whatever. And then uh, so I, I shot a message to hey, if you ever want to talk about, you know. So literally it was like, it was probably midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning when this took place. And uh, is it John O'Hare? Yep, yep. Uh, I think it was John who, who I was communicating with at the time. And he was just like, well, shoot, yeah, we'd, I, I think we'd like to talk to you about this. He says, but let me run it past a couple of people. And I said, okay. And I don't think it was just a, I can't remember if it was that night or the first thing the next morning. And he's like. Yeah, uh, if you can come up, I think it was on a Monday. It was like two days later. He goes, can you come up Monday, like at 7 o'clock? I said, I'll be there. Yeah. So, yeah. John is, he's freaking awesome. You know, he heard about us. He's from Lincoln Park. Uh-huh. He came came into the meeting, and he is just, uh, he's on fire. He's constantly bringing things to the table, all about the group, all about the, the, the whole project, and nothing about himself. It, like, almost zero ego. And it's it's amazing, because he constantly, hey, I talked to GM, I talked to this guy, I got this guy, I got this guy. And... Uh, you know, he brought you yeah, in, yeah. In, into our fold, and I'm so so happy and thankful that he did. And it was just, a, like I say, a happenstance kind of thing. And and in, and in, the, in the interim, uh, about a week ago, I want to say, uh, I, I had what I thought was going to be a five, six, seven-minute conversation with uh, Leah, and uh, about 25 minutes. Yeah. She's stoked about this uh project this fundraiser we're putting together so yep she's super fired up and she's already on top of everything to go with it and wants to make it and i i agree with her a hundred percent that i believe to date august 10th is gonna be our biggest uh fundraiser uh to date, like I said, it's going to be a great event. You're going to be there. It's going to be amazing. You can get tickets online through Eventbrite, through any of us with the Drop In Down River crew, Drop In Down River on Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. And uh, where we're are planning um, 
where we're planning to build uh, hits home with you a bit because Absolutely. you are a wine dot native. Let's talk a little bit about native where, of the dot. Yeah, let's talk about a little bit where you started coming up, all that kind of good stuff in Michigan. Absolutely. I um, well, born and raised in Wine Dot, and um, uh, I mean, just uh, that I'm, I got Wine Dot in my blood. I've said for years to people, I don't care where I hang my hat. I'll always be the dot will always be my home. Wine dot will always be my home, and I was a little worried not not really worried. It got a little melancholy, if you will, uh, a number of years ago uh, after my father passed away. I was in charge of the estate, and uh, uh, the night before we were closing on selling my homestead, if you will, the the house I was six months old when they walked through it for the first time, carrying me, and uh, fifty some years later. Uh, I had to go to the closing and hand the keys over to somebody. And the night before, I kind of wrote a, kind of an essay, just thinking about what Wyandotte was and what the house was and the homestead and everything like that. And I posted it. I think that was back in the days of MySpace. I'm not sure if it was Facebook or MySpace. It was a while ago. And um, they, uh, uh, it was kind of funny because I got a lot of uh, positive feedback from people going, you know, hey, you, you know, you're still a Wyandotter. You know, it's in your blood. It's this. It's that. And even Joe Peterson, uh, the mayor of Wyandotte. Uh, he he had uh, commented and he said, Mark, he goes, you're you're always a wind outer to us. Don't worry about it. You know, so that's and I think that's the way down the road. I think that and, and, and again, I'm, I'm partial because I'm from Wyandotte. But I think that's the way Wyandotte is. I think that's the way Wyandotte people are. I think that's the way down river is. It's like it's an identity. And uh, uh, again, I, I've, I've traveled all over the country. I've lived in California. I've lived in Texas. I've lived in Ohio. I've lived um, on the road. And um, uh, but doesn't matter. And, and the weird thing is, I, I've been in states and places uh, hundreds and even thousands of miles away and mentioned Wyandotte on the stage. or And sometimes I'll hear it in the oddest places, down river, you know, and I'll be like, <laughs> whoa, you're kidding me. You know, I'm in Iowa, for crying out loud. Or I'm in, you know, somewhere in Texas. And well, of course, in Texas, you got a lot of Michigan transplants. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 cool. It's uh, it's it's part of who I am. Yeah, and Wyandotte has a ton of history. You know, I love Wyandotte. I grew up in Riverview, right next door to Wyandotte. Absolutely. We actually we shared Wyandotte's uh, zip code yep. forever. Yep. And you know, we're we're about twenty minutes south of Detroit, and it's a great area. There's wasn't uh, Journey singing about us? Yeah, I think so. There is no <laughs> South Detroit. South Detroit is down river, uh, but the, what thirteen uh, cities make up the down river area. Uh-huh. And our drop in down river has a little bit of Every every city, Mayor Peterson has been sharing our posts and, and uh, is really supportive of our skate He's park, awesome. our skate park operation. Yeah. It, it's just it's a great you 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 hit really uh, on it that it's a tight knit community. It's big enough to be hip, but small enough to be down home and, and really comfortable. Really, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, and before I forget, we were talking about that August tenth date. Um, I, I was able to get Tanya Murray on the show with me. I spoke to Leah. I think I maybe mentioned her name to you. And I'm really excited because she's she's starting to headline some places. Uh, and and uh, she's on the show with me. So right she's on. strong act, fun, definitely a different point of view than mine. So it'll be a nice contrast. It's a lot of fun on stage. And, and she's just uh, a super performer. and It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, the night's going to be amazing. And there'll be Polish food there, too. Yeah, I mean, Polish dinner, comedy, just new friends, fun, raising money for a great cause. 
it's going to be a great night. I, I don't have a doubt in my mind that that night is going to be a great night. August 10th, it's going to be just uh, blow it out of the water. In August Biddle, 10th at the Biddle Hall yeah. in Wyandotte, Michigan. In Biddle Hall. I mean, Leah is great. She's been on the drop-in. Oh, awesome. We, we told her story on the drop-in, and people were psyched on it, people connecting with her. She has so many hats. Leah really does. She's a seamstress, and she has IT background, running a hall, yeah. and just... Her and Jeremy are phenomenal people. Great relationship for for you to have for sure. Absolutely. As far as comedy goes in the Downriver area, you can't. There's not a better venue really than the Biddle Hall, and we are very fortunate to have them both on our committee. And so we have an open open sort of door policy. When there's nothing else going on, drop in Downriver can do stuff at the Biddle Hall. Great team. Yep. And, and um, you know, your Michigan ties go even deeper. Because you went to Central, is that correct? Graduated from Central Michigan, sure did, broadcasting degree, and never really used it. <laughs> I mean, not, not, I mean, I, every time I go into a radio studio to promote a show or sitting in here, I mean, I'm comfortable on the mic, I'm comfortable in the situation. Uh, I think that stems a little bit from, from, you know, my experience back in college, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, so. but you know, it's it's <clears throat> what you were supposed to do at that time. You know, yeah. graduate high school, go to college, yep. and and then figure it out after that. Absolutely. Really. Well, I think that's everyone goes through that to a degree. So. Yes, yes, and and you know, with your, uh, you know, going into comedy and doing all those things, I think being in front of the mic could have been a natural progression because. Uh, you got you really got your start in Albuquerque, New Mexico in nineteen eighty six. How do you end uh, up at an open mic how's in that? Albuquerque in eighty six? I think I made a left turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> right, right. That's what I thought of. I was actually I mean I was living there at the time. Um I was married at the time. Uh we had moved to Albuquerque uh with my former wife's job and uh she was the state executive director for the American Diabetes Association at that time. And um when it appeared, after some counseling and et cetera, that we were probably going to go separate ways, um, she, uh, there was some, some uh, what do you want to call it, repressed feelings. I never got to really pursue my broadcasting dreams, et cetera, and, and it kind of came out. And she saw this audition notice in the newspaper for, there was no stand-up comedy club. There was no comedy club in Albuquerque at the time. It was still about a year away. But there was an audition notice in the paper for a troupe. Uh, and there was a guy that produced shows at, at the New Chinatown Restaurant, the first place that I that I attempted to do comedy. And there was a steakhouse, and there was a bingo palace, and pretty much any place you could get an audience for an hour or two. And um, and it was awful. The very first time I ever tried to perform comedy, it was it, I, I suck so bad. My last name should have been Hoover. <laughs> I, and I say that tongue in cheek, but not really. Um, I was supposed to prepare five minutes. I didn't know I didn't know how to write a joke. I didn't know what I was doing. You know. Um, and I'd practiced it, you know, kind of like wink, wink, not in the mirror per se, but, you know, I'm walking around the house and I'm looking at my notes and and I'm spacing out in between what I think are these jokes, these great, brilliant pieces of comedy that I've written. Eh, wrong. But I'm, I'm, I'm leaving a little space in between each one for laughter and applause, which I think is just going to destroy the room. Well, when that doesn't turn into laughter and applause, that five minutes turns into about a, mm, three minutes and 40 seconds real quick. So... Yeah, that's and, it's tough. You know, the first time on stage, I remember the first time I spoke in front of a crowd and I was so nervous. I thought I had 40 minutes worth of content 
22 minutes later, I'm wrapping it up, and I don't know what else to do because I'm scheduled for 40 minutes, exactly. and I, I, I understand completely. Yeah, not, and then your situation will be like, well, let's, how about some Q&A? Yep. <laughs> exactly what happened. So, exactly what happened. But uh, and, and that night, I actually went up, to, I stayed for the rest of the show. I was on rather early. Stayed for the rest of the show and, and went up to the producer of the show and said, I, hey, I appreciate the opportunity. I promise you I'll never bother you again. Um, you know, and he looked at me and goes, you're not coming back next week? I went, dude, I go, were you in the bathroom during that three and a half minutes when it was got really quiet, you know? And he's like, oh, not everybody kills it the first time. He said, you know, rewrite something, edit it, juggle, sing a song. You know, he says there's a lot of other areas you can, you know, explore or whatever. And so he encouraged me to at least, uh, you know, uh, continue to try to figure out what I was doing because I didn't know what it was. You know, I was just, just swinging away in the dark. And um, here we go, 33 plus years later. So now I have to ask prior to that, were you thinking, like, I'm going to be Eddie Murphy? Like, before getting on that stage, like, I'm going to be the next big thing? Was comedy in your wheelhouse? How did you actually, like, I get it, you know, that your wife saw this thing, ex-wife, uh, excuse me. Sorry. Um, but uh, did you have, like, some grandiose kind of vision of what, what was going to happen? or Not, you know, not really, I don't think. Uh, not, not in those terms, maybe. Um, but I will say that I was a student, to a degree, I was either a student or a big fan of comedy, in uh, relation to, um, I, I had probably four or five Carlin albums and probably four or five Bill Cosby albums that I wore out the grooves. You know, I had the, the big, the, the LPs. And I mean, Cosby, I had Wiser Air, uh, Wonderfulness, uh, To Russell, My Brother Whom I Slept With. Um, and half of those bits I knew by heart. Same thing with Carlin. Uh, Occupation Fool and and AMFM and and uh, Toledo Window Box, you know, and I had all these albums and was just blown away. And you know, and nowadays, you know, it's it's a situation where uh, it, I think it's kind of funny because you know somebody will see my show, and I'll be doing another show maybe in the general area, say three, four, five months later or something, and and they're like, hey, we're gonna come back out and see you again. I'm going like, oh darn, what did I do that night that they saw me last time? Because I want to throw some different material in because I'm afraid they're going to see this big rerun, you know. And after the show, I go, was it just a big rerun? And they're like, no, man, you did like half your show was completely different. I'm going to myself, I don't think it was. But um, but then I'm relating that to listen to those albums over and over and over again, even though it's funny the first time. To me, listening to Carlin and Cosby and, and whatnot on, on vinyl, it was funny every time. Yes, yes. Know? I mean, because again, and and that was way before seeing anything on video. You, the theater's in your mind. Yeah. You know, so you're you're kind of, it's creating that picture. It's creating that that. Uh, uh, it creates a story. Yeah. So. And for me, uh, the album that did that for me, and it was actually a cassette tape, "No Cure for Cancer," Dennis ah, Leary. Sure. It got stuck in my my Chevette tape player, <laughs> and so I heard it like a bunch of times in a row. But I would laugh every time, like it never got old. Did that have the the song on the A-O oh, yeah. song? Okay. Oh yeah. I couldn't remember if that was the one that had it or not. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy Joe let me borrow it. Got stuck in my tape player, so it was either that or silence. So I heard it for about six months. You probably remember that song by heart now. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And I still laugh every time I hear it, and I can't turn it off. Like if somebody posts that video, I have to watch the Absolutely. whole thing. You know. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> it's 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 timeless. Like what you're saying about the LPs, George Carlin. You can't go wrong. And and it was so uh, there was so much philosophy 
behind George Carlin. Yes. So much. And Bill Cosby. I mean, for real. Yes. It, they taught me a lot about life, like listening to those guys. And I admire a lot of other comedians who can write with a point of view, like a whether it's a social point of view or a political point of view or or whatever. Most of the stuff that I write about and perform is are just things, personal experiences that they're just funny. And there's a space for that too. Yes, like I, mean, I, I like the snowmobile thing because, like I said, everybody can relate to that or something like that. Sure. So seeing the comedy in everyday life, th- that is awesome. Just as much as a philo- philosophical or political kind of comedy as well. Yeah. You know, it's great. Um, you know, you've you've been able to take this uh, 1986 day in Albuquerque and really have some great experiences around the country. On the road, you know, it, it gets tough, especially early. And this show is about uh, really showing that you can turn your passion into uh, uh, your lifestyle, your life, your uh, profession. And so on the road, I want to talk about how you keep the momentum because there is a lot of ups and downs when you're in the enter- entertainment industry. There really is. I mean, especially in the, you know with a band, with comedy, if you're on stage, anything. The hard times, how do you get through those to continue, uh, continue doing what you do? Well, it, it, to me, early on, I mean, uh, and this blew some people away when, when the question comes up. Uh, when, I first started, when I first started working the road, which is probably back in about 1988, um, I was doing 300-plus shows a year. Now, mind you, some of those shows, I was just emceeing a show. I was doing 15 minutes a show. Some of them, I was the, the next act. I was what we call the feature act. It wasn't until seven, eight, nine, ten years later before I started getting some headline spots. But uh, uh, people go, 300, 325, 330 shows a year. They're like, you're kidding me. I go, no. Because back in those days, most comedy clubs were open five and six nights a week, and they were doing anywhere from seven to nine, ten shows in a booking. You know, so it was it was real easy to, to ramp up and get a lot of shows under your belt, which in turn, by working and keeping my schedule full, you, you couldn't do anything but grow. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, it was mandatory. And I'll be honest with you, the first couple of years, well, probably the first six months to a year, I can say without any doubt in my mind, um, the shows where I was not the MC, where I was the, the act that went on before the headliner, I was supposed to do 25 to 30 minutes. I probably had 15-ish really good minutes, or at the time what seemed really good. I'm sure if I looked at a tape now, I'd be, you know, embarrassed. But uh, um, so it, it, it was forced growth. When I had to do 25 and I knew I had 15, I had to be sticking new material in there each night. And and sometimes there was some crowd work involved or whatever. But um, I had to fill. You know, you couldn't, you can't bail. You can't do go five or ten minutes short. Got to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, so it's and it, sink it, or swim. Yeah, definitely. And that's exactly what I was thinking of when you said new material. It's sink or swim because you're in a live live setting. You can't test it out on, on this audience or that audience. You're in front of a crowd, especially in the late 80s, early 90s. There wasn't uh, see how many likes you can get on this joke on oh, social media and yep. see if it works. Yep. You know, you were right there in the mix. Now, when you knew you were going to the Southwest or you knew you were going to the Northwest or you knew you were playing in the Midwest, did your material shift? For for the location, not not too much, not really too too much. Um, no, I don't think so. Not not for me personally. Again, uh, I've never never been one to do a lot of political material. Never never, you know. It's it's 
I kind of I kind of feel like most of the stuff that I do can be related to, like you said, uh, by the common a common man, but like the everyman or whatever yeah. kind of thing. So um, that and that, that was one thing. I'm not a real political person per se, uh, just in my being. And that always, I was always like, I really don't, you know, if I came up with something that had a little political angle to it, I'm going like, you know, even though I, I like this joke, I don't want to, I don't want to walk on stage and alienate 40 to 50% of my crowd just for the sake of one punchline. So, yes. of course, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I guess, whatever it was, going back to the days of Bill Clinton, there were a few areas there that I, you know, I, I, I had to take advantage of. I was going to you know. say some of that stuff. You can, I mean, if you don't say something about it, they'll ask you if you're hiding under a rock, especially yeah. the Bill Clinton era, I mean. Oh, you know. Who, <laughs> who, who's your president? Who's your president? Right. I right. love you. <laughs> What's your name, anyway? <laughs> and you stuck it out. It is, literally, uh, Bill Clinton. <laughs> and look at, I'm a comedian. Uh, I'm, well, we're all comedians. <laughs> we're to work we really that. are. And I, t- I say that to people a lot of times. And, and you know we're, we're all comedians. Well, everybody has a sense of humor, but the big you know the, the the breaking point is not that many people have an hour's worth of material, let alone the desire to get up in front of people and speak. Right. So that's the big thing because we, it's not uncommon after a show someone comes up and goes, "You're really funny," but my cousin, <laughs> every time we get together at Thanksgiving, he just kills at, at Thanksgiving. I go, really? Yeah, he should be a comedian. Really? Can he do it Friday, Saturday, eight and ten p.m. You know, 40, 50 weeks a year. And they kind of look at me and go, what? And it's just like it's it's more than just getting up and telling the favorite joke they saw on the, well, at one time coming over the facts, and now it's over the Internet or whatever. So, you know. Well, and think about how this show just came all the way around because we opened with Man in the Arena. Oh, yeah. And that just really, that is the man in the arena. You know, if you think you can do it, then do it. And Real quick, because you mentioned uh, get, uh, getting being on the road and kind of uh, uh, keeping yourself from getting down or... or this is, this is kind of a goofy story, but I'll tell you real quick. It was not uncommon for me to be on the road literally weeks and months at a time in the beginning. Because I, w- I was living out in uh, Orange County, California, and or as Arnold would say, California. And uh, uh, you know, to get to the first gig, sometimes you had to drive a day, day and a half. Okay, So I would usually go uh, leave, ca- leave California, and I would do two, three weeks of work getting myself back to the Midwest and maybe setting up camp, if you will, at, uh, in Wyandotte. And then I do three, four, five weeks, all within five, six, seven hours of, of the Detroit area. And then I do another couple weeks going back. So I was gone eight, 10 weeks or whatever. My longest road trip ever was 23 consecutive weeks. Wow. My second road trip I ever went on was 23, almost a half a year. And um, what do you call it? This is something I learned to do. I would pack a suitcase and I'd have like a duffel bag with toiletries and, and that sort of thing. And then what I would do is if I knew I was going on the road for a considerable amount of time, I would take a box and throw maybe a different style pair of jeans, a couple other pair of pants, and maybe seven or eight shirts, stick them towards the front of my trunk, and take off. And then three or four weeks into the trip, when I was doing laundry... I'd pull a couple of shirts and different pair of pants, and it gave me, and it sounds weird, but it gave me that psyche that, oh, I've been home. I've got different clothes in my my, ah. my suitcase. Oh, I must have been. So it kind of kept me fresh. It kind of kept my uh, my vibe going, you know, and that kind of thing. So. And so going from switching clothes in your trunk, which is, I think that's brilliant, it's, you know, because really it's mindset, shifting your mindset. Yes. To uh, Comedy Central, ABC, 
Like, how, how did you land those kinds of gigs? How do you do that? Well, and, and again, those things, uh, I, I joke with people nowadays that most of my, my credits are, are old enough to drive, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> But I mean, some of them were just happenstance. I mean, like for instance, um, there there used to be a club in in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that did their own local TV show. But they had a syndication deal with. Originally, it was the Ha Comedy Network. Then it eventually uh, germinated into Comedy Central, and um, uh, they sold content. So I did the, the the gig in Fort Wayne, and eventually it went on uh, the program Stand Up Stand Up that was I think hosted by Wally Collins. So that's right. Yeah. And um, ABC was on um, America's Funniest People. And there was a club in Fullerton, California, when I was living out there, who um, they had a open call. And uh, they, they basically did this thing where they would have to uh, talk to a segment producer and, and you run a couple of your bits past them, the idea, the premise. And they set you up with a cameraman. And they say, just over the top, mug it, you know, whatever. And I didn't win any kind of money, but... I had a couple of really short little snippets 25 years ago that would end up on TV. And so, yeah. Well, and the 100th uh, birthday of Harley Davidson, you were there? That was a cool gig. That was fun. I, I uh, performed at the Summerfest grounds. Uh, I did a, um, a co headlined a gig that afternoon um, with a uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy McHugh from uh, Chicago. We did a uh, show that afternoon, and we probably had 800 or 900 people uh, in front of the stage for that show. But then that evening, I opened two shows for Bobby Slayton. I don't know if you're familiar with Bobby Slayton. He, he's known as the uh, Pitbull of comedy, yeah. and uh, uh, very—he's uh, he's probably my top ten of all time. Love Bobby, and um, probably five, six thousand people. And it's, it's kind of an outdoor uh, stage, but it has a permanent top, so to speak, uh, sort of thing. Um, and uh, huge crowd for that six o'clock show, and then nine o'clock show. They have five, I don't know if you're familiar with Summerfest uh, grounds in Milwaukee, but they've got like stages throughout this whole property. Same time we were starting our show at nine o'clock, Eddie Money was doing a show over here. Uh, the Go-Go's were doing a show over here. They had a country band. They had like six, and they were all name acts that, you know, I think we had 60 people under that same tent that we had had 5,000 at, you know. I had a very similar experience. I was down in Milwaukee, uh-huh. uh, and it was like, NBC mobile skate park series or something, nobody watched us skate. And I'm walking out, and there's about a million people walking my way. And I'm like, what is going on here? And this girl looks at me. I'll never forget it. And she goes, Kenny, because Kenny Chesney was playing that Ah. night. So nobody wanted to watch us ride skateboards. They just cared about Kenny Chesney. Gotcha. So I totally understand. It's crazy. It's crazy when they double book things like that. So you get to play in front of, let's say, 5,000 people. You played over 7,000 shows. So you live in a mansion and drive a Lamborghini, right? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) It's a humbling business. Uh, I mean, you know, I've been a road comic. And... um, I mean, I, I own a condo in Toledo, Ohio. Love life. I enjoy it. Um, still travel quite a bit. Uh, still just drive a compact car. And uh, uh, no complaints, man. I've seen so many things that most people don't get a chance to experience. Been to, I've been to 48 states in my life. Hawaii wasn't through comedy. That was the honeymoon way many, many years ago. But I've been to 48 states. I performed in 46 of them. And I've met people. Uh, I've created relationships with people that once social media began, 
MySpace, then Facebook, it was kind of a cool thing because I would look some of these people up and it was kind of like, oh my God, I haven't talked to you in 10 years or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And then you're connected. Next time you know you came through town or this or whatever, you grab a lunch, you somebody comes out to a show. Uh, I had uh, a handful of people that I still stay in touch with that were in the new Chinatown restaurant the night I did my very first open mic attempt. Oh, how cool. And, and uh, uh, Neil Edwards, who uh, is a writer and a comedian, still living out in L.A., uh, Mark Marin, you probably know Mark uh, from from his WTF podcast and other things he's done. He he was part of uh, that group out there. His father was a, a doctor out in Albuquerque. Bob Asta, Bill Resnick, uh, all all these guys I still stay in touch with now on social media. In fact, I went back for my 25 year anniversary show um, in Albuquerque eight years ago, and I coordinated with uh, my friend Bill Resnick and uh, stayed at his house. We did a couple shows. He performed for the first time in quite a few years, and and we had a ball. Albuquerque's a rough town. That's a rough town. I mean, I've been there a few times. How's that going? North of Central Avenue or south of Central Avenue? <laughs> I'm not sure where I was both times I was there, but I remember bars on the windows and, and getting burritos from like an al- a hole in the wall in the alley. <laughs> it was awesome. I'll bet it was a darn good burrito, though. Best burrito I've ever had in yeah. my life. And seeing jackrabbits the size of mini dogs. That was, uh, I have nothing but great things to say, but it was a rough town, a rough yeah. town. Oh, but the green chilies. Oh, green chili stew, green chili cheeseburger. Yeah. Bring yeah. me. Bring they, me. They Feed definitely, me. definitely know how to hook it up on the food front in Albuquerque. Because New Mexican cooking is very different than Tex-Mex or just Mexico Mexican cuisine. It, it usually involves green chili, usually some sort of uh, almost a gravy or sauce versus a queso. It, it's it's you got to experience it sometime. Yeah, get down to Albuquerque. It's awesome, and uh, you know you getting your start there. Going back for the 25th anniversary. I mean, you've done a lot with comedy, with your passion. Like you said, you have a condo down in Toledo, driving a compact car, and still promoting other comedians, doing your own thing. It's awesome what you're doing here. We're sitting here with Mark Canope right now, national, international com- <laughs> comedian, and he told me that he's uh, on satellite, satellite radio. And my first question was, how did you feel the first time you heard your voice come over the radio? That, I mean, it, it wasn't... It was cool. I happened to catch it. Uh, I had it playing on the on the computer and you know doing some work and stuff. But I've had other friends of mine take pictures of their their car stereos with my name that had popped up and stuff like that uh, uh, on the uh, Comedy Central channel or or whichever one it was, Sirius XM and and uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of cool and uh, and I get a small check once a quarter, you know, from different how many how many spins I get on on uh, streaming and, and you know however it goes on the on the web and stuff like that. Not getting rich off it, but it's enough to buy a couple of dinners or whatever. So I just think that's rad that if you're rolling down the street in your car and you got satellite radio on, all of a sudden your voice comes over the radio, you know, that be like, whoa, whoa, hang on. I, I don't know what I would do. I yeah. don't know how I would react to that. Well, I lucked out. The first um, the first CD that I produced, it was back near, uh, right around 2000, and I recorded it at the, the old Joey's Comedy Club in Dearborn, mm-hmm. which is in the basement of the old uh, uh, Paisano's restaurant. And um, the weird thing was I... I I put together the CD, produced it, uh, self-produced it, you know, had it replicated, etc. And uh, I was, uh, I, I do, I do some marketing on the side for Chevrolet. I have for the last, uh, I don't know, 12, 15 years. And I was out doing a gig at, um, oh man, I think it was at the Texas Texas Speedway between Fort Worth and, and Dallas. And there was someone from SiriusXM from the NASCAR channel. 
and I and he was up on stage and he's doing the show live show, and when he got done, he's walking past the display and we were right next to each other, and I walked up to him. I go, hey, I go, how you doing? Blah blah blah. My name's such and such, and I I do stand up and blah 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 blah. And how do I get, how do I get my material on Sirius XM? He goes, do you have one of your CDs with you? I go, I don't have it right now, but I do at the hotel. I says, I'll bring one to you tomorrow. He said, awesome. He goes, my office is right down. Four doors down from the comedy guy at Sirius XM out in D.C. I'm like, cool. So my first CD was basically just a, a happenstance, just chance meeting with somebody. And uh, the name of that CD is Don't Laugh, It'll Only Encourage Him. <laughs> I got that I got that uh, title from my dear old mother. Since I was 9 or 10, she, she tried to get my friends, don't laugh at Mark, please don't laugh. It'll just encourage. She, she wanted a doctor in the family. And uh, oops, you know, so... And then the second one, I think we called uh, Regular Guy. And uh, that's after I'd started my my uh, pension for wearing bowling shirts on stage and that sort of thing. And Well, you bring up a great point, and I talked about it a lot on uh, an episode here on The Drop-In, and that's you never know who you're going to meet. I talk Absolutely. about being nice to people, that it doesn't cost anything to be polite to people, to hold a door open, to do this, do that. And you just have a great example of that by that gentleman right there. Oh, yeah. That's that's huge, and I mean, again, uh, one CD from your hotel on satellite radio. Who knows what doors that you know or you may not know opened for you on the national level? Absolutely, it, it's totally crazy, totally Absolutely. crazy. Now, when you're on stage, uh, how much is scripted, and and how much do you ad lib? Well, um, it's in, it's funny that you ask me that question, but because um, uh, I get that question more more so when I'm working clubs. But I would say let's say, let's say go back a few years ago, and when I was on the road, 30, 40 weeks a year, still doing stand-up in clubs, um, I would say at least once, two, maybe three times a month, I'd have someone after a show come up, ask me the same question, and the first thing I would ask them before I'd answer the question is, "What did it look like to you?" Mm-hmm. And normally the answer I got was about 50-50, which just totally thrilled me. Because I would never, ever, ever in a million years want my act to look like I was mailing it in, you know, and just just reciting something, you know, to the audience. And I and I'd look them right in the eye. I go, no. I go, it's closer to about ninety ten, you know, maybe maybe eighty twenty, but more like ninety ten, ninety being scripted. And the guy, they usually look really. And I go, yep. And they go, well, everything comes off so conversational and kind of. You know, and I'd be like, "Thank you. Okay, good. Uh, that's the way I want it to look. I want it to look fresh every night. I want every night. I want it to look like, hey, I got something I want to share with you guys. You know. Yeah. So. And in speaking of that, we have some audio. We do. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I, I brought a clip uh, cut, if you will, from uh, I think this is from my second CD called Regular Guy, and it's a clip. Uh, I just happened uh, at this show that I was recording, and I end up talking to uh, one of the guys in the in the audience. Uh, uh, I'll let you I'll let you play it. So, how long have you been playing golf? Uh, three years. Three years? Three. Wow, you must be tired. <laughs> Me, three, four hours, I'm done for the day, but old AJ swinging that putter around, oh, just three years in a row, just finally came in here to watch the, the fun show. Uh, what kind of score do you hit? Uh, golf, not putt putt. Talk to me. Where? I don't play golf. You, don't, you really don't play golf? <laughs> You got excited earlier. You just good for you. Because that windmill hole, that's a bitch, isn't it? Windmill. 
It's funny because some of the non-golfers are looking like they put real windmills on golf courses. We never seen them from the road. And you won't. That's why we take those little carts back in the woods. No, putt, putt, golf. It's fun. It's fun. How old are you, AJ? 22. Playing putt, putt. That joke writes itself. I, uh... Are you married, Jay, uh, AJ? Are you? No. 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 <laughs> Hope I'm not ruining your chances here. I. Well, she seems to be very enamored by you. I. Uh... Look at that. Good for you. So you ask him if he's married. You you, you bring up often that you're a born again bachelor. What is that about? Oh well, and it's funny uh, that part of my act. I mean, uh, sometimes when people first hear that 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 tag, if you will. I can actually see some people in the audience, uh, kind of like, they, they, you know, and, and sometimes things are a little PC-ish now, and I can see people's reaction, like, born again bachelors, like I'm making fun of religion. And I have, to, I have to explain to people, I'm not being sacrilegious at all. Born again bachelor just means I've been divorced, okay? I'm a born again bachelor. And I try to reiterate with them, I'm not being sacrilegious because I was born and raised Lutheran. Married in a Catholic church, I was converted to Episcopalian when my son was baptized, and I was divorced in a Jewish attorney's office. <laughs> I have hit for the cycle. I've touched them all. You got it all covered. I got it covered, baby. <laughs> Do you meditate? That's I, my question. <laughs> I, and, and it's funny. And a, another great question off the cuff. My dad, uh, Charlie, who was a firefighter, blue collar guy, and. Um, uh, Late in his life, he asked me one day. He got a little. He was a little concerned. They sent me and my sisters to parochial school, and and he asked me one time. He goes, he goes, I know. He goes, you really don't go to church as much as you did when we raised you, and this and what have you. And he said, he goes, what uh, are you? Are, have you you know kind of straight? Are you not? And I go, pop. I go, I go to the church of Chevrolet. And that was the same. He gave me the same look, like like hmm? you kind of looked at me strange, and and he he gave me this look like. First of all, he thought I was being kind of terse and, or just kind of making a joke. Mm-hmm. He goes, always being a comedian. I go, no, Dad, hear me out. I said, there's times when I'm on the road driving two, three, five, six hours at a stretch. And I said, I've got nothing but time on my hands. There's times I turn the radio off, and I don't have to have my hands folded. I don't. It's what's going on in my head and in my heart. And that's when I do my, like you say, meditation, if you want to call it prayer, whatever you want to call it, taking a... a, a personal inventory and uh, there's a lot of times that that was when it happened late at night turn the page by Seeger is uh, a lot of comedians who can really relate you know and uh, but yeah that's um, that's kind of a that's kind of a, a groove that's kind of a time I mean it's you know I was doing I was doing well it wasn't carpool karaoke but it was uh, it was in my car karaoke way before they started doing it on TV and thank God nobody was ever in the car with me. Because I am not a good singer. <laughs> I am not a good singer. Me neither. That's why I'm a drummer. I, there I you go. I can't sing. <laughs> they put me behind the kit. I'm the first one to set up, last one to tear down and stay out of the way, Gerald. You're the yep. drummer. Just stay out of the way. I mean, I, over the years, I've, I've done karaoke. Uh, in fact, uh, there used to be a few hot spots downriver 20, 25 years ago. But I have a very narrow repertoire of about two or three songs. I used to call them. They were the songs that if you could scream them 
I could sing them. Kind of Joe Cocker, Otis Redding, The Commitments, you know, something like that. Yeah. I love The Commitments. Yes. You are one of the few people that has ever said that word other than me. I'll be like, you ever seen The Commitments? And people oh. are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh. That's so rad that you Man. know The Commitments. Their, their version of some of those songs, Mustang Sally. They crush it. Try a Little Tenors. Andrew Strong, the vocalist of that band in the movie, was 16 years old when that film was made. I don't oh. know if you're aware of that or not. And. Top 10 on yeah. my list of yeah. movies. Yeah. Like, again, the Goosebumps just came again. Yeah. If you've never seen it, look up The Commitments. It, it is an, a great story, great music. It has everything. I'm black and I'm proud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, when you're not at the church of Chevrolet, what do you do when you're not on the road? How do you fill your time? Oh, man. Um, I probably spend way too much time on social media, Facebook. Uh, I'm all over that. Anybody that wants to uh, look it up, uh, you can either find me just under uh, my personal page, Mark Canope, and my last name is spelled K-N-O-P-E, or uh, I do have a, a professional page, Comedian Mark Canope, and I have a website, which is just canope.com, K-N-O-P-E.com, and uh, uh, I'm on Instagram, The Canope Life. Um, you see a lot of food on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the funny thing, and I, 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 I did it subconsciously. Uh, Initially, when I when I would take pictures, I'm one of those guys. When I get a meal at the restaurant, oh, I got to take this picture, and let my my friends know what I'm doing or whatever. And subconsciously, because usually when I sit down to uh, eat a meal, my eyeglasses come off, and I'm looking at my phone or doing whatever because I I don't need glasses to see up close. So invariably, my glasses would be in every photo of my plate of food. So then it kind of become a trademark, you know. If I'm shooting a, a photo, I, now I got to put it there. I got to hang it from my my iced tea glass, or I got to have it sitting here, or whatever. And I, some people like shoes. I love eyeglasses, so I've got about a dozen pair of eyeglasses. So I, whatever whatever vibe I got that day, or whatever I feel like, that's what I wear. And it was really funny because I think it was last December. I think I was somewhere and I I shot something and put it up and without thinking, I had three people in the first 20 minutes. Dude, where's your eyeglasses? It was almost like they were worried about me, like. Blink twice if you're being held captive. You know, it's like, where's <laughs> right. you? And uh, so yeah, that that's my thing. But uh, but yeah, I'm all over. I'm all over social media, and uh, I don't really get Twitter. I mean, I'm on it, but I don't. My Twitter, my Twitter, uh, uh, my tweets are usually, oh oh, I can do Instagram and a tweet. Yeah, click. Yeah, yeah. just add it to that. You know, whatever. So but yeah, uh, I'm, I I haven't quite got on the Twitter thing yet. Um, still working on but it. But I, I, I love Instagram and Facebook, and I spend too much time on that. And Huge Detroit Tiger baseball fan. Um, got my K-Line jersey on right now. Nice. And uh, been a fan of them for many, many years. And I got my, uh, my love for baseball. Uh, my mom was actually the first one that really, she was a huge baseball fan. Baseball first, Tiger second. My dad tolerated us, but he would always take us to a few games a year. And you were talking about Tiger Stadium earlier during one of your sponsors' mm-hmm. um, uh, mentions. I actually own, it was a gift to my mom back in, oh man, I'm trying to think, it was probably around 93, something like that, 93, 94, when they were tearing down part of the commissary to build the first food court at the old Tiger Stadium. I happened to be there, got a tour of the stadium through uh, a friend of mine, Mark Hawkins. His dad, Jim Hawkins, was a columnist in Detroit, sports columnist. And as we are getting ready to leave, they said something about, oh, there's a lot of noise. Sorry about the noise and the commotion. They go, did you get your piece of Tiger Stadium before you left? I go, no. Can I stop? And the guy says, you're serious? I go, I don't know. You started there, do you? You know. So he called down to the foreman and said, give him a hard hat and give him a pair of goggles and let him take whatever he wants. 
that was my gift to my mom that year for her birthday. I had a brass plate engraved with her name on it, and I said, Blossom's very own piece of Michigan and Trumbull with the date that year. And then on her passing, Dad, let me keep it. That's one thing I asked for. Right so, on. Well, yeah, that's on know, my mantle at home. That is a great story to end this first installment of Mark Canope on the drop-in because uh, all of our listeners all over the world just got a little piece of wine nod yes. in this. And, and uh, Tiger Stadium is an epic place. Thank you so much for coming on it our show It went by today. so quickly, Gerald. It doesn't it? Yes. Like the hour goes. It yes. goes like that. Luckily, um, you know, everybody, everybody, Please check out Mark Canope through Facebook. He gave you it all. Rewind it right to uh, all of his social addresses. The shows go too quick. We need like two hours. I need to talk to the network, talk to NRM. We need to get two hours in here. But we'll have Mark back. And I just want to thank you all for watching today's episode of The Drop-In. And hopefully you got something. You got inspired to chase your dreams the way Mark did all over the world to get national exposure. And if you love it, you will find a way. So thank you very much for tuning in to the drop-in. Until next week, I am Gerald Valley, and this is the drop-in.